welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. And uh, we're back with Ulrich again. Uh, Ulrich, thanks for joining us and, and coming back. Of course, guys. Now, one of the things we talked about last time, what, what the thing that's fascinating for me about the whole topic and why I'm glad we're having you on is because we're talking about things that often come up in software development side of things. In particular, last time you talked about the importance of a jobs to be done framework, which is something I usually think of coming out of product management and uh, design world, you know, even like UX interaction design, that kind of thing. It, it, and it's surprising to come up to the same answer from the pricing side of things. So, so number one, I thought that was interesting. And then that's happening again uh, when you mentioned this idea of commercial debt. And so this this connection between what we what our, a lot of our listeners would have experienced on the uh, technical side and having then the analogy on the, the pricing commercial side that they're probably less familiar with. So I love that connection. And so, yeah, can you, we talked about this problem. If you get things wrong, you can end up with commercial debt. What, what do you mean by that term and, and what problems does it cause? So uh, let me give you an example. So I think two years ago, I was working with uh, a Scandinavian, uh, let's say scale up, they had uh, maybe 600 enterprise customers on a software solution. And they spent the better part of a decade so building this business up and the product and so forth. And I was in a management team meeting with these guys and we've done some preliminary research and everybody in the management team agreed that we on average could raise prices 85% on these 600 enterprise customers. Um, but they didn't. And instead they sold the company uh, about a month later. Wow. So then the question is like, why didn't you just like raise the prices 85% and then presumably you could have gotten at least 85% more when you <laughs> sold the business, right? Yeah. And the reason is that the 600 enterprise customers were closed on 600 different contracts, usually written in Word or PDF, some of them signed, some of them not, some of them findable, some of them on local hard drives with salespeople, some of them who were not with the company <laughs> anymore and so forth. Also, they were sold on different pricing models with different discounts, with different feature toggles, with, you know, sort of the, the environment this happens in. Like they just sold the heck out of it for a decade, trying to sort of just gain traction and gain volume and customers and just build revenue and not really looking at the, let's say, scalability of things, which means that if they were to reprice all these customers, essentially they would have to renegotiate with all these 600 customers and also respend all their sales costs of the last decade. And they just didn't have that bandwidth. And this is what I call commercial debt. So commercial debt is, the, is whenever you have to spend resources in sales or marketing, like gaining revenue, you sort of already earned or already sold to renegotiate, reprice and so forth because you didn't sort of stay disciplined within the parameters of whatever pricing and product structure you already had agreed with yourself was the truth for you. That that's a, such a great, perfect analogy, and and I, <laughs> maybe it resonates with me because I've experienced what you're describing on the commercial side, where we've done exactly the kind of thing of trying to standardize our contracts and work through a backlog, a, a long years long backlog of different terms and extensions and and others, and it is very much like would have experienced it on the technical side. In in the software development side, the good habit that people will describe is working clean, 
where you're constantly refactoring your code, refactoring your build process. And, and the idea is to minimize the cost of change. So if we want to change the software, we can go and do that with the least overhead. And what you're describing is directly analogous. If we want to change our commercial terms, how can we do that with the least overhead? Is, is that right? You're kind of describing what happens when you don't work clean commercially? Yeah, exactly. And so, so having a really good uh, sort of commercial model constituting like a really solid packaging where you know where all the features go and you also know where all the future features go because you have a sort of a conceptual solid ground in each of the whatever modules or tiers or add-ons or packages that you sell. You also have a very clear pricing structure and you have a very clear contract framework. So those are the components. But I think also interesting is that technical debt fuels commercial debt and vice versa. So they, they're sort of, they're tied up in a vicious loop. So let me give you an example. So if you have, let's say technical debt and you from a product side or a development side say, well, we know best, we know how the customer should use this solution. And if only they were to use it how we envisioned it, then, you know, they would be better off. And so so if, if you have this sort of, let's say, high and mighty feeling within the product department, and then hands this product to, to a sales rep, and then this sales rep has to go out and sell it to a customer. Usually what will happen is, and I call these sort of monolith products when, when sort of they're not changed, is that then the sales rep will go to a customer and say, look at the solution I have. And then the customer will say, well, that's all great, but I only need half the features. So how about I pay half the price? This is usually what happens, right? So, so you can go into... Um, a SaaS business, and then you can look at what kind of discounts they're giving. And if they're giving a lot of discounts, sometimes the problem is upstream in product, right? So the, actually the, the way that the product is misconstruing what customers want is creating this sort of commercial debt, all the discounts and the sort of the, the, the patchwork solution that sales has to make. Now, <laughs> if sales then does this with customers and say, okay, so I know you don't want to buy the monolith, but what do you want to buy? And the customer says, well, I do want to buy this, but you know, maybe I also want this feature or maybe we can like, just give me access to half of the solution. Then the sales rep sells like an enterprise client, like Big Whale, and then goes back to development and says, well, I just sold this contract. It's going to be amazing. We're going to hit the quarterly target, whatever it is. But, you know, we need to build these two features. right? And, and they might say, hey, look, uh, you, you don't have to do some of these things. We can take it off. Like you said last week, you know, take the roof off. But something goes <laughs> wrong with that, exactly. right? So isn't that great? Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. And oh, by the way, we also we, we, we invented a new pricing model because the, the customer wants this. So so this is this is one of the dirty secrets I often see in SaaS companies is that the billing system itself is an internal product where sales and, pro and product are the customers and finance and development are the uh, vendors. Right. So <laughs> and, and so and everybody hates each other. So this is also so this is this happens as well. So. Then, then new technical debt accrues, and then we, we sort of then spurs new commercial debt, and on it goes. And this, so this often happens when companies grow from zero to let's say ten million euros in in annual revenue, and then they stop. So, and the reason they stop is that the product is really hard to uh, keep innovating on, and it's really hard to reprice customers, and it's really hard to sort of be agile. I think I don't know if I'm using your words correctly. Uh, both on the technical and the commercial side, which means that growth slows, and this can like sometimes be lethal for these businesses. 
Oh, absolutely. And Ulrich, I, I have an approach for this, which Jeffrey, you and I talked about uh, a couple weeks ago. We'll, we'll link to that episode in the show notes. And I just wonder, I think we're talking about the same thing, but I want to check. So when I coach my clients, I will tell the people on the technical side, the ones kind of trapped in that vendor relationship, and they're, they're, they're often feeling disempowered. You know, they're not talking to the customer usually in the model you described. So they don't have the chance to come back and say, yeah, you know, actually it's hard to take the roof off, but how about no wheels? You know, that they don't get a chance to, to bring in the technical view that would actually help the customer more and be more feasible and, and more resellable. And I say, what you need is to go talk to your salespeople about unselling. So yeah, you went and agreed that wonderful agreement. You got that uh, commercial and product debt. You incurred it for us. Thanks for doing that. It's actually a good thing that you did it because it means we have a client inside the tent. Excellent. Now what we need to do is do some customer management. We need to do some unselling and we need to change what those contracts say, change those discounts, change what's happening in the, to the benefit of the customer. Can you, can you work with us on the tech side to work out what that is so that uh, the customer wins and gets a better product that works better for them and our investment actually matches up? Now, is that the sort of thing that you're helping folks to do as well on the sales side or is it something else? So, yes, but and I'll tell you how. Is that we will do a design process where we design new packaging, new pricing model, whatever it takes, so the entire commercial offering will align sales with product so that they're aligned and then we'll go validate it with the customers so that they're in order to. Then we will start a sales test. And this is sort of really where the rubber hits the road, where we then take the new offering and sell it to new customers. And then you do that for a sales cycle, maybe two. And then when you're at that point, usually the organization as a whole, which means product, sales, management, whoever is involved, will see, well, well, this new offering that we have, we're able to sell it. We're able to sell it better than before, maybe at higher prices, shorter sales, sales cycles, whatever it is, because we actually sort of you know, got to a better concept. Also, we're smarter than we were since we designed the first thing. So we now have confidence that this is working, and we then take and roll it back to all the legacy customers that isn't on this new uh, packaging and pricing. So that's sort of usually the, the sort of the, the, the project flow that I run through is sort of new design, sell it to new customers. Once it's sort of validated in the market, then we roll it back to old customers with the argument that, hey, all your competitors just bought this on commercial terms for the past six months. So we know it's fair. And now you have to pay to come January 1st or whatever rollover is. Ah, I get it. Yep. You know what I really liked about that is, you, you, is that the thing you said in there was we're smarter than we were before. Because yeah, I think that's something that, it, and again, I'm really liking this because it's giving, I think, our listeners more of a 360-degree view of things they would have heard about before but maybe hadn't experienced from the commercial angle, which is, in this case, it's it's the ability to have something that you test and learn from in the market. And you're describing that the whole goal is to learn from your experience. And part of what the uh, thing about learning, I would say learning is the detection and correction of error. So you found mistakes that you made before. Well, you want to go fix them. And so that includes creating something new, but also removing things that are old, which is where the unselling comes in. And so that the process you're describing is, I think, a natural extension of what people would talk about in lean startup or in uh, the what the, uh, the agile approach enables. However, there's often a disconnect between the commercial side, which haven't typically heard th this kind of 
um, language around testing and trial and learning and refactoring. And the product side, which have heard it, but haven't had that connection to, as you put it, where the rubber meets the road, the commercial reality. And so this is really like this kind of, I feel like we have a mirror image here in what you're describing for some of our, our listeners. I hope they recognize now some of the behaviors and mistakes that they've seen in their own environments as you're reflecting back the, the, you're describing the kind of things that they might have been advocating for from an agile side, but now they can put it in terms on the commercial side that they might not have been familiar with. Yeah, when you're saying that, actually, sort of it occurs to me that I think product tests a lot, but actually, I think sales tests a lot too, and so does marketing and so forth. Part part of what might be sort of the missing link is that they haven't agreed on what to test together <laughs> as a sort of a unit. So they're just running off and testing different things, and then they're arguing to each other why. You know, my test is better than your test. And then, you know, <laughs> that's sort of pulling sometimes uh, some of some of the uh, like lessening the opportunity that you have, right? Um, so, um, yeah. So, so, so I hope that's sort of an, an extension of what you're saying because I'm definitely agreeing with you. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And missing conversations. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there's a wonderful thing that I often tell people that commercial folks, just like Ulrich know how to do and it it, it looks like uh, absolute magic to those of us in the technology side because we're not used to talking to customers in this way it feels weird to us but you've given pulled back the curtain a bit so we can see it I say that people like Ulrich and your salespeople and your account managers in your organization listeners they have a special stopwatch that they a pocket watch that they have in their pockets and they can pull out this pocket watch and they can wave it back and forth and make it go um, uh, you know in a little arc in front of the customer and they can say customer you want this feature you don't want this feature you don't want the one you bought you want this one instead and the customer hypnotized nods and says yes that's what i want absolutely that will be great and you just have to view it as this kind of magic ability we now have a bit more understanding from Ulrich of how that magic works, which I think is really valuable. And I hope it gives our listeners the um, uh, excitement and the willingness and the courage to go to their commercial folks, to go to the people agreeing then uh, putting in place this commercial debt, which is leading to the technical debt, and suggest they pull out their, their pocket watch to, to help us uh, get out of that situation. That's fantastic. Yeah, so actually often I find, so once I've worked with, actually it's, it's often product that leads the, the, the pricing redesigns with on my client side. And usually when, when, when you can see sort of very talented uh, CPO or, or, or uh, product marketing guys sort of leading a pricing project, you, you can see that they, they sometimes like they get it. And then they just start working on this path and keep working on it for years and years in the organization, which really helps everyone. And, and that's really sort of where the magic happened, where you start to consider this like an integrative process that has to continue over time, right? Um, so, so that's always sort of like the, the, the true marker of my success is when I can say, okay, so, so people really are, are, are carrying the torch on their own, right? Fantastic. Well, Ulrich, there's lots of ways for people to engage with you and to get some of this um, uh, good good stuff, get this good magic going uh, for themselves, including reading your book. I also realize in these two episodes, we haven't managed to pronounce your surname. So I hope you might be able to do that for us because I'm not sure Jeffrey and I can. Uh, our Scandinavian language skills are not that great. Could Would you mind um, just telling us uh, uh, where people can get in touch with you, where they can read your book? Sure. So so my surname is Lesko Schmidt. Um so don't try to spell that. So my, my website name is willingness to pay.com. So that should be relatively straightforward. 
Um, the name of my book is The Pricing Roadmap. You can find that on your local Amazon. And uh, if you go to YouTube and just uh, search uh, at SaaS Pricing, uh, then I have a lot of content there as well. Oh, fantastic. Great. Well, that'll all be in the show notes as well, of course. And we encourage listeners to, to get in touch with Ulrich, uh, whether or not they're good at pronouncing his surname. Uh, he's got a lot of insights, as we've seen in, in the last two episodes. And of course, listeners, we'd love to hear from you as well. Um, what does this mean for you in your technology team? If you're leading that team, if you're a CEO who's trying to, to bring uh, all of those together, the pricing and the product and the technology and, and struggling with that, if you ha- disagree with us, if you think, hey, wait, Ulrich missed an important item here. This doesn't work in our world. Uh, We'd like to hear all of that. So the way to do that is to come to agileconversations.com where you'll find Jeffrey and me and our email and our Twitter and lots of other ways to get in touch with us, free videos, our book, other good stuff, and it's all free. So uh, we're always happy when we hear from listeners uh, because they have so many great ideas for us, um, including these kinds of topics that uh, we've just been discussing with Ulrich. And of course, the other uh, thing to do is to come back next week. We'll be here next Wednesday again with another episode of Troubleshooting Agile. Thanks, Jeffrey and Ulrich. Thanks, Ra. Thanks, guys. <laughs>